welcome to Supernatural Podcast episode number 61 for the episode Monster Movie. The episode was written by Ben Edlund and directed by Robert Singer. The episode originally aired in the U.S. on October 16, 2008. I am so sorry that this episode is so delayed. We are working on getting caught up. So let's start with the synopsis by Kristen and Quinn. Summary for Season 4, Episode 5, Monster Movie. The episode begins in black and white. The Impala drives by a sign saying, Welcome to Pennsylvania. But when lightning flashes, for a moment it looks like it says, Welcome to Transylvania. Classic monster movie music plays on the radio, and Dean turns it off, saying the radio around here sucks. Dean says jobs don't get much weirder than this. A victim with teeth marks on their neck, body drained of blood, and a witness who swears it was a vampire. Sam says it's a little complicated right now because the world is coming to an end. Dean counters that they can't save the world, at least not today, and looks forward to a good old-fashioned monster hunt. Dean says it's about time the Winchesters got back to tackling a straightforward black-and-white case. The boys pose as federal agents and show up in a small town during Oktoberfest. They locate Sheriff Dietrich, and he takes them to see the body of the girl killed by the vampire. The sheriff says this death is the last thing the town needs during a tourist season. Ed Brewer was the lone witness to the crime. Sam and Dean head back to the Oktoberfest in order to talk to Ed. Dean hits on the waitress at the bar. He tells her they're federal agents, and she says they don't act like feds. Dean says, I'm a maverick, man. I'm a rebel with a badge. One thing I don't play by? The rules. Jamie, the waitress, doesn't seem too convinced. They speak to Mr. Brewer and assure him they want to hear everything, no matter how strange it seems. Ed said it was just after midnight and he was heading home through the park when he saw a couple kissing. He would have dismissed it as normal, but the girl was struggling too much. He was biting her neck. Sam asks him to describe the assailant and Ed says, Oh, he was a vampire, you know, with the fangs and the slick back hair and the fancy cape. He says he had an accent, and he said something like, Stay away, mortal, the night is mine. The boys look stunned. They agree it's definitely not their kind of case. We zoom in on a couple making out in a car. The girl hears a wolf howl, but her boyfriend assures her it's nothing. We hear something sneaking up on them in the car. The girl insists again that she hears something strange, but her boyfriend says that there aren't any wolves in Pennsylvania. Then, a hairy hand breaks through the window and pulls the boyfriend out of the car. The girl screams as her boyfriend is ripped to shreds. Sam and Dean question the girl. They ask her to describe the creature, and she says with full certainty that it was a werewolf. She said he had a furry face and a black nose and the torn-up pants and shirt, like in the old movies. They visit the morgue again and find her boyfriend's body. It is ripped apart, but the heart is still intact. The sheriff walks in and says they found wolf hairs on the body. Dean says he feels like he's in the movie Dracula Meets Wolfman. Next we see the museum and a security guard on the phone asking if someone was expecting a delivery. There is a mystery coffin sitting there. A mummy pushes his way out of the sarcophagus, complete with fog. The security guard is in shock, and the mummy comes over and chokes him to death. Sam and Dean come to investigate the crime scene. Sam finds a sticker on the sarcophagus that tells that it was not an accident. It's from a prop shop in Philly. Dean finds the mini bucket of dry ice he was keeping in it. Dean realizes he's late for his date with the bar waitress, 
Jamie, so he runs off and leaves Sam to deal with the crazy. Jamie was waiting for Dean on the street corner when she is confronted by a Dracula-like character. He says in his Dracula accent that she is the reincarnation of his beloved, and he must have her. She maces him in the eyes and runs away. She turns the corner and runs into Dean. Dracula tells Dean to stand down, but Dean just punches him. Dracula comes back, vampire canines bared, and lunges at Dean. They grapple until Dean rips his ear off. Dracula runs away, and Dean follows him until Dracula gets on his scooter and drives away. Dean is comforting Jamie back in the bar when Sam meets up with them. Dean says he thinks he knows what's going on, and presents Sam with a ripped-off ear. Dean tells Sam it's the skin of a shapeshifter. Dean also shows Sam the piece of clothing he ripped from Dracula and has a costume shop label. Dean has deduced that Dracula, the werewolf, and the mummy are all the same creature. Sam says it's like the creature is trying to reenact all of his favorite monster movie moments. The monster is fixating on Jamie. Dean asks her if anyone strange has taken specific notice to her, and the only person she can think of is Ed Brewer, the guy who witnessed the vampire kill. Dean tells Jamie what they really do. Jamie says, so you and your partner just tramp across the country on your own dime until you find some horrible nightmare to fight? She says it must suck because you have to give up your life to a terrible responsibility. Dean says, last few years I started thinking that way. It started weighing on me. Of course that was before. A little while ago I had this near-death experience. Very near. And when I came to, things were different. I realize that I help people. It's kind of like a gift, like a mission. Kind of like a mission from God. Lucy, Jamie's friend, walks in on Dean and Jamie kissing. Jamie invites her to stay for a drink. Meanwhile, Sam is checking out Ed at the local classic movie theater. Ed is playing some old horror movie music behind the movie screen. Sam sneaks up on Ed and pins him against the organ at gunpoint. He tries to pull off his ear to prove that he is a shapeshifter, but it won't come off. Sam realizes he's got the wrong man. Back with Dean, Jamie, and Lucy, Jamie seems to have had a little too much to drink. She's slurring her words. Dean begins to see double, too. He punches Lucy in the face. He knows that she is the shapeshifter. Dean tries to fight her off, but he falls unconscious to the floor. Next thing, Dean is in a Frankenstein-like lab, secured to a wooden lab table. He's in Lederhosen. Dracula monologues at Dean. He says he came back for his bride, who was reborn in Jamie. Dean tries to get him to realize that life isn't a movie. Dracula says movies are grand and elegant. Dean says, you do realize what happens at the end of every monster movie. But Dracula says that this is his movie, so it will end with the hero being electrocuted. Right before he can pull the lever, the doorbell rings. Dracula has ordered a pizza. He hopes there's no garlic on it. Sam has come back to the bar with no sign of Jamie or Dean. He assumes Dean went home with Jamie until he sees the broken bottle on the ground and the cocktail napkin with the lipstick O. He remembers Lucy always make a, made the lipstick O's on the cocktail napkins. Jamie wakes up in Dracula's place. He tells her to put on the gown that suits her beauty, and they can dine with the pizza. Jamie says she doesn't want to play his stupid game. Dracula yells at her to put on the gown. This is the first time that he's lost his cool. Dracula starts talking in his irregular American accent. 
He says that he just loves the movies. Jamie says you can't make them real. The shapeshifter says real is being born different and having your dad call you a monster and try to beat you to death with a shovel. He says he was always ridiculed and hunted. He says he loves the monster movies because the monsters were strong and beautiful. Sam breaks into Dracula's house. Sam lets Dean out of the iron bonds. Dean says, oh thank God, just in the nick of time, that guy was about to Frankenstein me. Sam notices Dean's in lederhosen and says, hey there Hansel, to which Dean quickly replies, shut up. Sam breaks down the door on the way out of the dungeon with his foot, but it is cardboard. The boys find Jamie. Sam goes for her first, and the shapeshifter throws him into a cardboard wall. Dean fights Dracula until Jamie picks up the gun and shoots the shapeshifter twice through the chest with silver bullets. The shapeshifter takes his time to die, saying, It is beauty that has killed the beast. He reclines in a chair, and his last words are, Perhaps this is how a movie should end. Back in the Oktoberfest town, Dean kisses Jamie goodbye. Jamie pauses before she leaves to thank them for saving her life. Dean comments to Sam that it's good to be back on the job. Hero gets the girl, monster gets the gank. All in all, happy ending. I'm Kristen. And I'm Quinn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the great recap. Let's move on to analysis and theories and my discussion with Josh. Hi, this is Ellen. And this is Josh. And we are going back in time tonight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We're back. We are and back. back time. <laughs> That's right. We're talking about monster movie, which seems like a thousand years ago. So overall, what did you think? Um, overall, I thought it was a very fun episode that was beautifully filmed. Oh yes. I thought it was a great homage to the classic monster movies of the past, and it was a perfect show for the Halloween season, <laughs> which is now come and gone. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it was. It was absolutely perfect. I mean, for me, as a horror fan, uh, October is the quintessential horror month for me. And so, uh, but for some reason, I always end up watching the old horror movies sometime during that month, too. And I have Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman all on DVD. So I'll usually pop in one of those and watch one of the, I don't know, what, 12 movies between the three. And, um, it was so good to see them influenced into this episode, and it was perfect timing with October, and it was just great. I loved it. And it was black and white. We've never seen that. No. But it was the perfect replication of the old Universal and Hammer films. It was just identical. It was, it was really, really good. I agree. It was, it was fun. It was lighthearted. And not only did it have laugh out loud moments, but I just found myself smiling through the whole thing because it was so enjoyable. Me too. It was perfect timing. You're right about it. It was so funny. Um, the only thing, this was originally meant to be the third episode of the season, but the network was afraid it would alienate viewers so early. So it made more sense knowing this tidbit. I think it fit in a lot better as the third episode, but now I get it. But stupid CW, they should just trust Kripke. That would be a little too weird for people that early, huh? Yeah, you know, and honestly, it wouldn't have fit then it, because, like we were saying, it was, it's really an October episode. Yes, it it played well as far as the season goes. Yep. Oktoberfest and all that. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes into my what I liked. Um, 
I love Oktoberfest, and it was a really nice nod to the autumn season. So, oh yes, it was just I don't I can't stress enough how perfect it was. Even though now we're talking about it some time later, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to remember the good times. <laughs> Let's reminisce, shall we? <laughs> I agree. It was it was nice nod to the autumn season and. Just the general theme of the episode was really enjoyable, from the opening credits to the black and white look to the lighting and the creepy music. Mm-hmm. It was a great way of fitting into the old monster movie format while still making it a clear episode of Supernatural. Yeah, it did seem a little weird the very first. I mean, it takes you from the hook, the very beginning. Of, you know, I knew that there was a black and white episode coming up because I'd heard people talking about it. But I didn't know when or anything about it. And so when you see it, you're like, wow, look at that. It just grabs you as a fan. I can't imagine a new fan going, huh? But <laughs> I mean, if you're a fan of the show, it, it just it was distinctly old school supernatural. Yes, it, it definitely did a great job of capturing that mood. I guess I just had, you know, as you go along, there wasn't anything really substantial in this episode. I mean, it was fun. It was exciting, but it was just a nod to like a thousand different things. So we had a nod to Vincent Price, you know, um, and then all of obviously all the different old universal monsters, but I like how they tied it in with the different possible identifications for the shapeshifter. Oh yeah. There's a little bit of a, little bit of a mystery going on Mm -hmm. at the same time. And and a little bit of motivation besides just throwing up all of the references to the old movies. Um, and how about that confession of Dean to the barmaid? <laughs> that poor girl. <laughs> but, I mean, can you imagine being on a date with this, you know, obviously good looking guy and she thought he was kind of cool. And, and then he just like flat out confesses his soul to her. It was like... <laughs> What? But at the same time, it was so <laughs> cathartic for Dean that you couldn't help but love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he appreciated it. You know, something about talking to a complete stranger that's sometimes easier than talking to people you know. Yeah, I guess it's that whole cliche where you just talk to a bartender, too. Like, people like to come <laughs> right. at bars. Must be the alcohol or something, but... <laughs> it probably made her think, oh, he's so deep. Yeah. <laughs> He's more than just a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, going along with that, it was there were little touches of seriousness mm-hmm. that kept it connected to the rest of the season's themes. You know, like you said, Dean's talk about being changed and his renewed sense of purpose and all of that, and you know, Dracula's little speech about what it's like to be a monster. It was a nice balance with the humor and the lightheartedness. Yes, and there was a lot of humor. A lot of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Some seriously good laugh-out-loud moments, including Dracula's escape on a scooter. (laughs) (laughs) I almost died laughing when I saw that. (laughs) And then the hidden world under the normal house. It's kind of a Norman Bates secret life kind of thing, but with the set. You know, it's clearly like a, you know, Universal Studios backlot kind of set. (laughs) That was classic. It wasn't like a secret dungeon. It was a pretend secret dungeon. With styrofoam for walls. (laughs) People flying through the walls. It was so low budget. How about that casket with the dry ice (laughs) from the prop house in Philadelphia? Very nice. (laughs) But it was those little things that just added up to make the episode so much better. Oh, yes. 
And, and little touches like the organ player switching from scary music to some sassy Casio tones <laughs> as Sam sneaking up on him. Okay, we can't not talk about the underground lair and not talk about Dean strapped to the Frankenstein table in Lederhosen. <laughs> Lederhosen. <laughs> of all things, Lederhosen? Yes, okay, it's Oktoberfest, but why did Dracula change his clothes? Uh, does Dracula have a secret life that we don't know about? (laughs) (laughs) He enjoys dressing people up in Lederhosen. Get a doll, get a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) It should have been Sam at the Frankenstein table, you know, with the brow ridge thing he has going on. (laughs) <laughs> and he's the one that's usually all tied up. I know. It was a interesting uh, change on that. And then Sam calling him Hansel. <laughs> <laughs> and it made it even more perfect that it was never explained. It's just he's there in Lederhosen. <laughs> I just couldn't stop staring at the Lederhosen. <laughs> I had to go back and watch this whole end part of the scene again a couple times because I was so distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's great. And then that whole scene where he is tied up when Dracula is melodramatically reaching to the lever to electrocute him super slowly. And he calls Sam Van Helsing. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. <laughs> Isn't that about the time when Sam fell through the fake wall? <laughs> yeah, he kicks down the prop door. <laughs> yeah. It just completely clapped. The barmaid, which I have no clue what her name was. Sorry, it's been too long. Shooting Dracula with the silver bullets and his last words, it was beauty that killed the beast. Those are the exact same final words in the 1933 film King Kong (laughs) and the remake with Peter Jackson. Oh, right. Oh, that that melodramatic death was classic. Not only does he quote those lines, but (laughs) he acts like it's such a big deal. Don't weep. And they're all just standing there. (laughs) Yeah. And then he dies in exactly the same pose as Bela Lugosi in in the Dracula film. Oh, those shots were really great. I mean, there's that recreation and then the the scene where Dracula's eyes are only lit in the alleyway. Yep. The classic scene. Yep. (laughs) Before, I guess, he drives away on the moped. (laughs) Right, exactly, I, with the little honk. Beep, beep. I really don't remember Bella Lugosi on a, I'm on a moped. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's not the most dignified getaway. How about a sidecar? You know, why didn't the mummy take him off in a sidecar or something? <laughs> That's right. I, I think it's def. you know, a lot of people love the episode, but there are some haters oh, that yes. didn't appreciate the silliness. Yeah. But I think in the long run, it's going to be one of those most memorable episodes. Yeah, you know, a lot of people compare it with some of the other comedy episodes, like the one with the ghost facers. Oh, right, or Tall Tales. Or Tall Tales, or, you know, some of these. Um, and I personally liked this one a lot more than those. I think all of them put together. I agree. I have to agree. I think in general, it had a a better sense of hu- I mean, not a better sense of humor, but its heart was in the right place, yes. it seemed like. Yep. You know, Supernatural likes to parody all, uh, you know, not parody, but like give homage to a lot of these horror, film- horror films. But this one, they just did such a good job with it. Yeah, they obviously knew, they obviously loved these old movies and yep. are definitely showing them some respect. Even though it was in, in, 
with humor, it was good-natured humor. Yeah. You know, and I think with all the crazy stuff that's been going on between the brothers, all the really heavy stuff, these comedy episodes are not completely out of line. <laughs> it's like right. life isn't so dramatic, you know, cue music here. It's uh, it's not. And you have to have some lighthearted moments or you'll kill yourself. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine <laughs> what these boys are living with? I mean, Dean just came back from hell. It doesn't <laughs> right. get any worse than that. <laughs> Give him That's some true. beer and a barmaid. Come on. <laughs> a wench. A wench. <laughs> Bar wench. I agree. Was there anything you didn't like about the episode? Well, and that's, I guess, just tied into what I just said. The hookup with the barmaid. I did not see any chemistry between Jensen and that actress. You didn't see it? I did not see it. He could have been talking to his sister for all that I could tell. I mean, I just... (laughs) (laughs) It was almost like he was... Maybe that was what the confession came from. You know, he was just like, cool. It's somebody I can talk to. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, he'd pretty much hook up with a toaster if he could, but... <laughs> but still, I just didn't. That bothered me. Well, I guess you know anybody that's not Joe. He seems to have more chemistry with to me. <laughs> oh, but you didn't think I'd throw her out there after all this time? <laughs> I forgot about Joe. We all tried to. Well, you know, I can only hope that he'll, you know, find himself some girls in the next, you know, few episodes or. The rest of the season, I don't care. My only didn't like was with the other barmaid. I thought that the fact they had focused on that lipstick on the napkin thing like 1,600 times, she obviously had to be the bad guy. You know, I didn't catch that right off the bat, but the lipstick thing drove me crazy. I'm like, oh, come on, just write your number and hand it to Sam. I thought she (laughs) was trying to hit on Sam. Oh, I thought, you know, in the first time, maybe, but the fact that, oh, here, let's do it again and show a close-up, and here she does it again. <laughs> I know, that got really annoying. I'm like, what are they going? Where are they going with this? And then it dawned on me. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I see. Leaving a clue. Yeah, I guess that's why I got so confused with poor Ed. Poor Ed. The thing, the other thing that I didn't like was fake Dracula ordering pizza. Of all things, he like goes up into his little suburban home and has a coupon. Like, I just kind of detracted a little bit. I mean, the dude already drives a moped. Do we really need to know how much of a loser he is? Well, you know, I have to admit, I see your point. It, it was a little hokey, but I did enjoy the, is there garlic on this pizza? That was... <laughs> did you order garlic? I mean, that, that delivery guy was probably like, who is this freak? Yes, and allowing him to live because he was useful. <laughs> Poor sad Dracula. So, what else? Anything else? Nothing else. I, I I have to say I really enjoyed the episode. Question? Speculation? Nothing. Nothing. nothing I mean, nothing. this show did tie into the mythology with some of the speeches mm-hmm. and some of the themes, but as far as questions and speculation, nothing we didn't cover before nope. or haven't covered a million times. I th- exactly. I think this might be the first episode we've ever said that, though. That's true. It's always been like, okay, so what's up with Mary? <laughs> or something. Well, where's Joe? There we go. We'll leave it at that. We got a question. Where's Joe? Where is she? She's disappeared. I think most of the fans would say, good. Yeah, her and Ellen, they're just off the face of the planet. 
So, how about quotes? Oh, quotes. My favorite was Dracula's death scene when he was said, <laughs> and thus beauty killed the beast. No, Mina, do not weep. Perhaps this is how the movie should end. That was very funny. And she's just standing there like, what? You can't help but feel a little sorry for him. I think probably my favorite was when Dean was saying, oh, he doesn't drink. He's a Christian scientist. Yeah, he doesn't even take aspirin. He's a real drag on stakeouts. <laughs> <laughs> Like, where did that come from? It's hilarious because Sam can't say anything about it. You know, they're lying. He can't call Dean a liar. But it's also hilarious because, yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah. (laughs) How does him not being able to take aspirin make him drag on stakeout? What are they, popping pills or something? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because you shouldn't be drinking on a stakeout, right? So. Well, exactly. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> nope. And uh, my other favorite was, come on, man, it's like the good old days, an honest-to-goodness monster hunt. It's about time the Winchesters got back to taking or tackling a straightforward black-and-white case. Oh, da-da-da. And at that point, watching it, I was like, yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> it had been a while. Not a much moral ambiguity. That's probably about it for this episode. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. That was Box Toccata and Fuga D minor performed by James Clark. So let's move on to legends and references, and as you know, This episode was chock full of legends. So thanks to Greg for preparing the following information. Greg's full article and links to more information will be in the show notes, but there really is a lot of information. So I tried to summarize it down so that the podcast really wouldn't go on too long for you. So let's start with vampires and Dracula, specifically Bram Stoker's Legend of Dracula. This comes from balletmet.org. The word vampire first appeared in the English language in 1732 with the translation from the German accounts of the vampire staking of Arnold Paul in Serbia. Paul, an ex-soldier turned farmer, claimed to have been attacked by a vampire years earlier. He died while working in the fields, but after his death, many others began to die suspiciously. It was believed that he had returned to prey on his neighbors. Government officials examined the cases and the bodies and hysteria ensued. In light of all the publicity the region generated, it is not surprising that Stoker chose Transylvania over his original choice of Austria as the setting for his most famous of vampire stories, Dracula. In translations, Transylvania means the land beyond the fours. This was also the title of a travel book by Emily Laskowska, Gerard, that Stoker researched for the folklore of the subject. Bram Stoker combined the legend about vampires with the historical figure Prince Vlad Dracul to create his novel Dracula, first published in 1887. Although Stoker's is the standout original popularization of the theme, it is believed that the first vampire fiction in English was published by Lord Byron's personal physician, John Polidori, in 1819. It came as a result of the literary gathering on the shores of Lake Geneva in the summer of 1816. Lord Byron, Mary Goodwin, soon to be Mary Shelley, and Percy Shelley 
and they were encouraging each other to write a ghost story. Mary Shelley began her famous Frankenstein, while Byron began and discarded a story that Polidori discovered, reworked, finished, and published as The Vampire. So the vampire myth, and we have mentioned this before in other podcasts, but if you are tuning in for the first time, most sources agree that a vampire need not feed nightly or even kill his victim. Some victims linger for days before succumbing to death, while others die instantly. Killing always remains an option, even if not necessary. European folklore has victims wasting away over a period of weeks. Although human blood is preferable, some vampires will seemingly accept any animal blood. Dracula only drinks the blood of humans. Some interesting facts about vampires are that they are tall, dark, spectral, dressed in black, possess sharp fangs that leave two marks on the neck, are of unusual physical strength, they have a seductive power over women, they do not have a reflection when they look into mirrors, and they cast no shadow. They're afraid of crosses and religious symbols and repelled by garlic. They're always hungry, but they can go long periods between feedings. They must sleep in unhallowed earth or in the soil of their birthplace. They cannot die due to the passing of time. They must consume human blood and will become younger and more vital as a result. They will disintegrate if they come into contact with daylight or water. They can control the weather. They can be killed by a wooden stake driven through their heart or by cremation. They can transform themselves into bats and wolves, and they can enter as a mist or through a crack but cannot enter a home unless invited. Now, these are kind of some of the more general ideas. Depending on which mythology and which author you're looking at, those change remarkably. And vampires are kind of the in thing right now. So I'm sure you you hear stories about all the others. So let's move on to werewolves, something that people really haven't been talking about all that much lately. And this information is from mythicalrealm.com. The legend of the werewolf is one of the most ancient and widespread Stories of werewolves can be found as far back as history has written. These shapeshifter myths can be found all over the world from China to Iceland and Brazil to Haiti. Some of the earliest accounts of werewolves come from Romania and Greek sources. The most widely known story of the werewolf would be Little Red Riding Hood. There are many ancient tales that warn the fragile, small, and easiest of targets, children. Little Red Riding Hood features a wolf who talks to Little Red Riding Hood and then dresses in Grandma's clothing to fool the innocent little girl. Not something any old wolf could do. The full moon has been linked to werewolves. Conversely, unlike movie werewolves, real werewolves change shape voluntarily. In many myths, they are witches who take animal form to travel unnoticed, either using a potion made from magical ingredients, such as the fat of dead children, herbs, human blood, or an animal skin. A real werewolf changes completely, becoming the animal rather than a hairy human. The full moon business seems to be a dramatic license. However, it is interesting notion since the full moon has been associated with creating madness in humans and to be a time during which man and beast have a magical connection. As with vampires, finding a werewolf largely seems to be a matter of looking hard enough. Some of the warning signs according to the world's myths are red hair, born on the 25th of December, eyebrows join in the middle, that the index and middle fingers are of the same length, that they love rare or raw meat, that they have hairs on the palms of their hands, hair on the inside of the skin, although that seems like a tough one to check, and will change back into a human if you throw a piece of iron or steel over its head when it's in animal form. So some real werewolves and werewolf accounts, you can find information at 
T-H-E-R-I-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-E-S.com. Clinical lycanthropy is a psychiatric syndrome that includes a delusional belief that the affected person is or has transformed into an animal. It is named after the mythical condition of lycanthropy, a supernatural affliction in which people are said to physically shapeshift into werewolves. The word zoanthropy is sometimes used for the delusion that one has turned into an animal in general and not specifically a wolf. A seminal study on lycanthropy from the famous McLean Hospital, the temporary residence of both mathematician John Nash and poet Sylvia Plath, reported on a series of cases and proposed some diagnostic criteria by which lycanthropy could be recognized. A patient reports in a moment of clarity or looking back that he sometimes feels as if he was an animal or has felt like one. A patient behaves in a manner that resembles animal behavior, for example, crying, grumbling, or creeping. And according to these criteria, either a delusional belief in current or past transformation, or behavior that suggests a person thinks of themselves as transformed, is considered evidence of clinical lycanthropy. The authors go on to note that although the condition seems to be an expression of psychosis, there is no specific diagnosis of mental or neurological illness associated with its behavioral consequences. And finally, we have the mummy. The legend of the mummy is widely varied, but the main killer mummy legend surrounds the discovery of the tomb of Tutankhamun. Of the original team of archaeologists who were present when the ancient tomb of the boy King Tut was opened, only one lived to a ripe old age. Was this a bizarre coincidence, or is it the manifestation of a curse that's passed down through the centuries, a curse too sinister, too mysterious, and too lethal for the modern world to comprehend, and a curse that is still exacting its deadly toll today? The final wall of the sealed burial chamber of the boy pharaoh was breached for the first time in 3,000 years on February 17, 1923. Archaeologist Howard Carter whispered breathlessly that he could see things, wonderful things, as he gazed in awe at the treasures of Tutankhamun. As Carter, together with Egyptologist Lord Carnivarn, looked at the treasures of gold, gems, precious stones, and other priceless relics. They ignored the dire warning written all those centuries ago to ward off grave robbers. In the ancient hieroglyphics above their heads, it read, Death will come to those who disturb the sleep of the pharaohs. Nearly everyone involved with the excavation died or had tragedy strike themselves or their family. Legend has it that the final blow of the excavator's pick had set free the curse of the pharaoh. The mystery remains... Were all those poor souls down the years merely the victims of some gigantic set of coincidences? Or did the priestly guardians of the tomb's dark secrets really exert supernatural forces, which heaped so much misery and suffering on those who invaded their secret chambers, and exact a terrible punishment on the despoilers of the magnificent graves of their noble dead? The most intriguing theory to explain the legend of the curse has advanced by atomic scientist Louis Bulgarini in 1949. He wrote, It is definitely possible that the ancient Egyptians used atomic radiation to protect their holy places. The floors of the tombs could have been covered with uranium, or the graves could have been finished with radioactive rock. Rock containing both gold and uranium was mined in Egypt. Such radiation could kill a man today. So let's move on to some references. The Oktoberfest was sponsored by 97.2 Rock FM, classic rock that really rocks, and MG Premium Brew, a possible reference to executive producer McG. The Goat Theater, where Ed Brewer is a projectionist, refers to the German writer Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. 
author of, among other works, the two-part tragedy Faust, which recalls Dean Steele. We had some unusual credits in this episode. It has an old movie-like opening sequence with all the credits in a roll, as well as an intermission scene with music and a classical movie fade-out, you know, the black circle closing in at the end. When the brothers arrive in town the first night, there's a crescent moon in the sky. However, the second night, when the werewolf strikes, the moon is full. The moon doesn't change phases that fast from crescent to full in a single night. And finally, when Sam approaches the stairs in the movie theater, a poster for the 1953 film House of Wax can be seen in the foreground. Jared Padalecki co-starred in the 2005 remake of this film. So on to music. The live music at the Oktoberfest festivities was by the Happy Schnapps Combo. We also heard Toccata and Fugue in D Minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. It was played by Ed Brewer in the Goethe Theater when Sam discovers him. In honor of our sad villain, the song of the night is Sometimes I Feel Like a Vampire by Aloud. Check out the website at allthingsaloud.com. The song is brought to you tonight by the Pod Show Podsafe Music Network. Enjoy. it for this episode our review of yellow fever will be released very soon i promise thanks for listening and take care 
for listening to the Supernatural Podcast. You can visit my website at supernaturalpodcast.blogspot.com or send me an email at supernaturalpodcast at gmail.com. Please note that the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and not of the producers of Supernatural or the CW. Audio clips played on this podcast are property of the CW and no infringement is intended. Some of the music heard here is from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. 